you kind of joke when you're at work, like we're not saving the world. But at the same time, we're like, well, maybe we kind of are, you know? <laughs> like if there are meaningful problems that you're working on solving that actually have impact in society, you know, you can feel good about that. This is In Her Element, a podcast from BCG. I'm Corinne Lines. And I'm Suchi Srinivasan. Each episode, we have meaningful and vulnerable conversations with women leaders in digital business and technology. This week, we're speaking with Kathleen Nero, Head of Strategic Partnerships in the Consumer Health and Energy Industries at the World Economic Forum. In her role at the forum, Kathleen works across disparate fields and industries to help partners achieve their goals. In 2016, Kathleen co-founded the Women's Inclusion Network at the Forum, a group which exists to share knowledge and advocate on behalf of its members. The WIN is Kathleen's passion project, and she has plenty of advice for anyone who might want to start a similar group at their place of work. Here's our conversation with Kathleen. I'm Kathleen Nero, and I am Head of Strategic Partnerships at the World Economic Forum for the Consumer Healthcare and Energy Industries. Perfect. Perfect. And you started off as a lawyer, but what has the journey been like to get to your current title? I started off as a lawyer, but I will say the through line is that I enjoy sort of client service and like problem solving. I practiced law for about five years doing like general commercial litigation. And then I kind of had like a quarter life crisis thinking, is this really for me? And I worked with like a career coach and I ultimately concluded, I think that I would be a great social worker, but I was like, well, you know, I have student loans. That's not going to work. I sort of found this role at Bloomberg where they were like building out a research platform for lawyers and they needed other lawyers to teach them sort of how to use it, you know? So it was, a, it was like the Bloomberg Terminal, if you're familiar with it, uh, but for lawyers. And I was there for another five years, just sort of building up that platform and then sort of progressing in my career to leading teams. And then I kind of hit a point where I guess I had another maybe quarter life crisis or just kind of like a moment where I felt ready for the next thing, you know? And I found this opportunity at the World Economic Forum to manage relationships sort of at a much broader global scale. And and that really brought me in also for like a mission-driven organization. So it was kind of a natural, like, I think, progression to bigger, broader, you know, more mission-driven. I love that. Yeah, it's so important, right? And I think the more we progress in our careers, the more a mission-driven role resonates and is important. What barriers and challenges have you faced in being a woman in your field? I can think of a few. <laughs> I think, you know, a woman of a certain age, um, you've kind of been there, you've seen, you've seen a few things, you know, sexism, very, very blatant comments. But I think maybe one sort of story that others could kind of learn from was the first time I was like really passed over for a promotion. I had worked for someone who kind of had a pattern and a history of favoring men. And I thought I had really broken through there. This boss told me, you're you're up next for promotion. It was all very, um, even our metric system was very transparent. So everyone could see that I was, you know, killing it. And sure enough, like the day before the promotions were supposed to be announced, she gives me a call and says, just kidding. It's not going to be you. And she says, senior leadership doesn't think you're ready. 
And I was devastated. I definitely burst into tears and cried and had my meltdown. Something in me thought, that that just doesn't feel right. And so I called one of my mentors who was an actual senior leader in the organization. And I said to her, do you think this is true? Like, do you think they don't think I'm ready? And she said, there's no way. Like that is, they don't even have an influence on this decision. Like, and you know what, Kathleen, you need to fight this. She said, you actually aren't leadership material if you don't speak up about this. And I am a people pleaser. So like hearing those words was straight away, my stomach dropped. I I ingested that feedback and I thought, okay. And then I actually called one of my best guy friends and I told him the advice from Heidi, the senior leader. And he said, you know what else, Kathleen, you need to fight back. Three other people got promoted, but I was not going to be. Don't let them get ahead of you. So ask to at least stay at their reporting line. And they were getting direct reports and I was not. So he said, you know, keep it so that you're still at their level, but, and and maybe you won't get more money and maybe you won't get direct reports, but basically retain that seniority level. I just thought it was interesting, the advice you get from obviously, you know, your mentors, but then also sometimes your guy friends like view a situation in a different way than, you know, your women friends. And, you know, my advice to others is to like, kind of seek out that diversity of input when you're going through like a challenge like that. Kathleen, I have to tell you, okay, so as you're telling the story, my internal biases are kicking in and I envisioned this man over you. And when you told me it was a woman, I was astounded. I couldn't believe it that the blocker here was a woman. It shocked me. First of all, I I had earned that promotion, so let's put that aside. But she, you know, I, I couldn't believe that a woman was burning me, if you will, right? But then I learned, don't be so nice. Yes, be nice and be your authentic self. But the advice from my mentor was fight back. And this story, you know, sort of has a happy ending because what I did was I went to um, my boss's boss and I went to him and I said, you know, I was told that I was not promoted because senior leadership didn't think I was ready. Is that true? And he was honest and he said, oh, no, he was not honest. But he said, oh, you know, I don't know what she told you, but blah, 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 blah. But why don't you tell me what it is you want? And I said, well, I want people leadership experience and I believe I'm ready for it and blah, blah. And so six months later, there was a role that came up that was basically even an even better promotion that was on par with my former boss. And I got that. <laughs> and so I was like, yes. <laughs> Phew. So sometimes, you know. That is a very happy ending. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes you think in the moment, like, this is so devastating and this is the one job that I could have gotten and blah, blah. But sometimes anything can happen. And it's such a growing experience. Uh, It's such a great story. Do you feel like you could share a little bit more in depth about your WEF role with us? Yeah. I lead a team and we basically play matchmaker between organizations in those industries, in the consumer healthcare and energy industries, and opportunities within the forum. So a lot of those are like digitally focused. Other work we do on, say, the metaverse, like our consumer companies are really curious about how that will change the consumer landscape. So we kind of 
play matchmaker, if you will, between opportunities that may be appealing to our business community and sort of broader work that we want to get done as like that's beneficial for society. So you kind of bring in the public sector, the private sector, um, academia, civil society to solve these problems. What are some of those current projects you're working on? Taking the consumer landscape, we're looking at new ways to incentivize like nutritious diets and the big players need to come together around that. You know, you have to influence lawmakers, you have to influence uh, what's being taught at medical schools. You have to influence sort of every facet of that topic. So that's just one. In the pharma space, we're talking about manufacturing of vaccines and how to you know, sort of expand that into areas where they don't have the manufacturing capacity, parts of the world that need to kind of build that up. And that benefits both the, you know, humans on the ground in those areas, and it benefits, you know, the companies as well, because they can get their medicines out there. So it's like looking for the, what is the area where all these parties can intersect and drive something forward that benefits sort of everyone. And maybe that touches on like, well, what is it that you sort of love? Like, what is the thing that sort of strikes a deep chord in you in this work? I mean, it's it's many things. It's that, it's like being part of that macro problem solving that's fun. Like, you know, you kind of joke when you're at work, like, we're not saving the world. But at the same time, we're like, well, maybe we kind of are, you know? <laughs> like, if there are meaningful problems that you're working on solving that actually have impact in society, you know, you can feel good about that. You're like, okay, this is not just, you know, sometimes it's boring work. Sometimes it's it's pushing paper. But at the end of the day, if you can say, oh, it's, it's for a greater purpose, um, it provides the motivation to push that paper, right? If you strip down your role enough, you can always look at it from the perspective of like, oh, what I do is so minimal and so pointless, or it can have this like much broader um, stroke on it. So it's just really a perspective shift about like what we're accomplishing on the day in and day out. And so I know you mentioned that like a lot of these people that you partner with, there's always kind of like a digital aspect to it. How does World Economic Forum help its partners to digitize? I actually even wouldn't say it's, it's, we're helping partners digitize so much as helping the world, right, digitize. So whether that's our partners saying in the healthcare space, coming to us and saying the healthcare system needs to be more data-driven, it needs to be more, you know, technologically savvy, it needs to be digitized in order to deliver better patient outcomes, then we work together to match them with the people to sort of achieve that. So that's how we bring the, you know, the digital opportunity to our partners. Can you tell us about Women's Inclusion Network that you founded at World Economic Forum? Yes, I can. It is my passion project. Um, <laughs> so, so we started this group, myself and uh, two colleagues in 2016, right after the U.S. election, when we kind of felt like a bit helpless, but also what can we do in our little neighborhood to make a difference, right? Um, and we really started small. So we just said, hey, a bunch of women, come meet in this conference room if you want to talk. <laughs> and we sat around a big conference table. I think nearly all the women in the office showed up. It was packed. And we said, what do you, what do you want this to be? We can create this ourselves. So we didn't just come in there and say, you know, um, this is how it's going to be. We're going to make this group and it's going to go like this. We said, let's all co-create. 
So that started out however many years ago, and now it's it was our very first employee resource group at the forum, and now there are like five or six others, so I'm super proud of that. Um, and we do kind of two things in tandem. We sort of like, um, well, we do many things, but I would say we have like a speaker series. Um, so we usually every month we bring in a speaker, we kind of have a nice knowledge exchange, we learn from that person. Um, and then we also think about how we can sort of drive some concrete change. So an example of that is we worked together with our leadership and our people and culture office to expand parental leave in the U.S. office. So now it matches that of our Swiss office and it's it actually nearly doubled the amount of time, yes, <laughs> that we were able to provide to parents. When you proposed the idea of extended parental leave, did you benefit from it at all? I was like maybe five or six months pregnant with my first child and my myself and a couple of colleagues, I mean, we were up till 10 or 11 at night. Like I remember balancing the laptop on my belly, trying to type out what I thought would be a good plan. Um, and we, you know, submitted it. And I remember talking to, um, she's my boss now, but one of our senior leaders at the forum. And she said, you know, I'm, I'm really, I'm pushing for this. I think we can get it done. And I was like, okay, well, I'm going on, leave in about two weeks. Uh, any update before then? And it happened like the week before I, or a couple weeks before I left. Yeah, it was, it was wonderful. Is there anything at all you'd like to share with our new moms out there who are navigating their careers? Show each other some grace thing, you know? Show yourself some grace, right? Like I had a friend complaining about her three-year-old the other day and I was like, oh, you know, school had, he was biting people and, 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 she was like, oh my God, my kid is the worst. And I was like, no, your kid's fine. That's totally normal. It's totally developmental. I have a four-year-old as well. And it was so easy for me to say that to her, right? Because it wasn't my kid. And then sure enough, my four-year-old, we get a call from school and they're like, he's having meltdowns and we don't know why. And he's too old for this. And I'm like, zero to prison. Like I, my mind goes so dark and I'm like, oh my God, what have I done? I'm a terrible mom. And then I I go sit and tell her the story. And she's like, remember when you, you know, pumped me up and was like, it's a phase, it'll pass. And I thought, oh my God, you're right. Like we need to, we need to remember how to talk to ourselves the way we talk to our good friends, right? What advice would you give to listeners who are start, looking to start a similar group or a group of their own? I would say really, start start small like literally start with step one just get a bunch of people in a room and say what do you want to make this and and don't try to take it all on yourself right the way this group is able to run so well and effectively is because we all share the load it's like a family you know we have like four or five leaders and we're constantly like oh sorry i i missed that you know and what I say is we have four or five leaders so that somebody can drop off and deal with their, you know, day-to-day job or their or their four-year-old and their nine-month-old. And then when they have a minute again, they can pop back in. So you kind of like set yourself up for success, right? By kind of sharing that burden. Um, and then, you know, think about what you want to get out of it. We really wanted to learn from experts, from others on various topics. So we do a lot of like inviting HBR authors of HBR articles or a Forbes article, something that catches your eye. So we had the women who wrote Stop Telling Women They Have Imposter Syndrome. Um, we had those authors. We had an art, a session on um, 
playing politics at work and how women need to like get in the game. If you're not a player, you're a pawn. So just things that things you want to learn about and that benefit your career. So yeah, I, I guess you can start small, make it your own, share the load. Can you tell us about a time when you felt that you were in your element? I'm going to say this was inspired by um, Rashma Sajani. You know, she's the founder of Girls Who Code and Moms First, which used to be Marshall Plan for Moms. So love her. Like, I want to braid her hair and drink wine together. And actually, I got a chance to meet her, but that's not the moment I was in my element. But anyway, (laughs) so this is inspired by her. She has this viral clip about a time she was asked to speak somewhere and, and she was told, you know, Warren Buffett and Bill Gates would be there and like, oh, you know, be nervous kind of thing. And... Basically, you know, she she talks about being in the room with all these senior men and realizing, like, you, me and my girls could run circles around you. Like, you know, and having this moment of women sort of being told how to feel in, you know, that leadership positions are not for them or that they should feel uncomfortable in the room. And she was like, I reject that. I belong here just as much as you. I also went through a little public speaking anxiety phase, you know, the the cold sweats, like <laughs> that, that whole thing. And I was preparing for a sort of internal speech for like 150 people, like sort of a, a 10 minute thing. And prior to that, I looked at some senior leaders and I was like, why am I so intimidated? Like, I can do that, right? And I actually thought like, actually, I'm kind of warmer and more engaging than they are. And that's my special sauce that I can bring to this, right? And so I got a chance to do this talk and I really channeled Reshma. And it was like the first time I spoke publicly where I completely felt like in the moment, very natural. I wasn't thinking about what I needed to say. I was like cracking my jokes as they came to me. And I, I fully felt like in my element. And the best is a senior male leader came up to me afterwards and said, where did you learn to public speak? I really need to work on that myself. And you did such a good job. And I was like, oh, I felt totally, you know, vindicated for sort of that journey of like feeling not good enough to, yeah, you can do it to then getting that feedback. That was my conversation with Kathleen Nero. Suchi, what were some of your thoughts on our chat? I was reflecting on this experience that she had early on, it sounds like in her career, the whole promotion experience, right? Where she was passed over, she didn't get it after being led to believe that it was almost a sure thing in the bag. But then, you know, the way she handled it, I think, you know, is so honestly relatable for so many of us and our audience. The initial feeling of disappointment and literally crying, but then picking yourself up and having the courage to dial the phone and seek out people to get some advice, like what to do. And and then just to observe her being put on that path because of this advice. Corinne, what stands out for you as you reflect on this conversation you had with her? 
I think it was probably the power of just the group, of the power of coming together, sort of the women's inclusion network that she's helped to form at the forum and that still stands today. And it's got so many members and these incredible wins that they've had where they've come together and been able to sort of elongate the parental leave program that's now on par with Switzerland. And this is like something to be so proud of, but I think that's something for all of us to take stock in and recognize like in our own organizations, any one of us can gather and any of one of us can share among like allies or just the women in the group and your group and your organization to say, what can we do? What would we like to say? What change would we like to see under our own roof? Well, that's all for today. This has been In Her Element, a podcast from BCG. Join us every episode to hear meaningful conversations with women leaders in digital business and technology. Thank you so much for listening. Mm-hmm.